Hello, lovers. As you know, Elle and I love to bring you content from wherever we are in our travels. And for the past couple weeks, Elle has been in Nicaragua on a trip with a bunch of our lifestyle friends. And this week, we sat down with Kit to have a really great conversation. And unfortunately, we had some internet connectivity issues, as well as some audio issues. Blame it on Nicaragua. But this was just such a great conversation, super juicy, super deep. So we're really excited to bring it to you, audio issues aside. So we hope you enjoy as much as we enjoyed it. This is a beautiful gift we're given. It's like the best pleasure we experience as humans. It's how we give life. Mm-hmm. And I Connection. mean, it's how we blossom and express ourselves. Cheers, babes. Cheers. To a very therapeutic session. (laughs) Yeah, let's feel some shit, bitches. (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Girls Gone Deep. We are going deep in more ways than one, talking all things sex and non-monogamy, personal growth. Today's episode, we're talking about sexual healing and all the things that come with that. So we're we're excited to have a guest on the show with us today. So I'm Elle. And I'm V. And I'm Kit. Yeah, so welcome. So I'm here in Nicaragua with Kit, and we were chatting about our podcast, and she was talking about the episode with Chet, and that was the one where we talked about Mormonism and religious and shame, and she said, you know, I really just wish that Chet just kind of went into, you know, what that was like coming from all that shame around sex and then moving into the lifestyle and what that meant to him and, and how he did that, and so and then you came in and said, well, I had so much sexual trauma and shame mm-hmm. and this lifestyle has taught you mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. So I said, we need to talk about this mm-hmm. more. So I'm excited for you to share your your journey with us. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what were your early teachings about sex? Like what were the messages that you received in childhood? So only few years ago, I thought I didn't really have any messages because my parents never talked to me about sex on any level, like not my period, what to do with it, Mm -hmm. nothing, you know? And I realized later that there's actually such a strong message in silence, which is it's not okay. Don't talk about it. Hide it. Mm. we can't, it's, it's something to hide and it's not okay. And now the few messages I got were from the Bible, which is don't commit adultery. And further, if you even think it, it's like committing adultery. Mm -hmm. So if you even think of any sexual thought aside from your husband, you're committing adultery and you should burn in hell forever. Yeah. Mm. So much sin around the thought yes, of like you're bad. You you're literally gonna burn. For me, anyways, that's what I took away. Like you're gonna burn in hell forever. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you get saved by someone else, like Jesus. Wait, what's your religious affiliation? Christian. Christian. Okay. Yeah, but um. And what denomination? It was Pentecostal, and my mm. mom grew up um, Mennonite. 
And so she brought Mennonite is like long sleeves, um, boys on one side, girls on another. You can't play card games. They're the devil. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. Wow. So, so my extreme separation. Yeah. 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 So my mom took a step for me, which was into like hardcore Christianity, <laughs> which was still like, you know, um, and I was going to church. I mean, three to five times a week. I was raised kind of part-time by missionaries, all my friends, everybody. It was like, you know, it was like the Christians or the ones that had walked away and we need to pray for them. Did they have like special classes for you as children around uh-huh. sex? And like, no. Okay. No, no, so no. Not the focused. only message I got was this one about adultery and right. like even thinking it was still committing the sin. Right. And then not being able to talk about it. Yeah. Just kind of- that was it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting what you said, not speaking about something in silence is a message in itself. Right. Because when I was thinking back in preparation for this conversation about my messages that I've received, I was lucky in the fact that as we all know, you know, I, my mother is so open and to her credit, when I was younger, I felt so comfortable coming to her about sex. Well, as comfortable as a teenager can feel talking about sex with their mother. But, you know, um, when I first wanted to go on birth control because I was considering having sex with my boyfriend when I was 17, I, you know, felt that I could go to her and say, hey, I want to go on birth control. And she supported me. She was like, you know, if you're in any way thinking about being sexually active, I want you to be safe. Cause I think she came from the school of thought that, Hey, they're going to get sexually active no matter what. So Mm -hmm. let's have it be in a safe way. Yeah. And I think that's, what's really missing from a lot of any kind of, um, sexual education that we get. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the South, but we always hear about, you know, the sex education is just abstinence, abstinence, abstinence. So they don't <laughs> learn about like, it's not they don't learn yet. about having sex safely no. and condoms, yeah. how to put on a condom. And where do you see the most, you know, teen pregnancies is in right. these communities. Everything that we've learned through, and even like the religious stuff, and even in schools, you're right, it is abstinence, but it's also putting like a fear based uh, background yes. to it. So it's, yeah. sh- it becomes this shameful thing. You're going to get an STD, you're yeah. going to get pregnant. Yeah. Um, this is bad. Yeah. So it's this is our whole lives we're taught to like shy away from sex and withhold and, and not talk about it. And I grew up the same way that you did kit with like silence. We didn't talk right. about it. I didn't get education. I didn't feel safe to talk to them about it. Like right. never would I even I mean mention compared it. to like this is a beautiful gift we're given. Mm-hmm. It's like the best pleasure we experience as humans. It's how we give life. Mm-hmm. And I Connection. mean it's how we blossom and express ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean so, yeah. so you went from this background of mm-hmm. shame, mm-hmm. total separation, all mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what were, what was it like for you as a teenager in your sexual experiences? Were you oh, man. exploring? I, I mean, just a lot of like very private masturbation. Mm. You know, I didn't mm. have any sexual experiences cause I was, I was super religious up until basically 20 mm. when I had sex. Mm. And then I was like, 
oh, I can't go to church. I had sex. Now it was just like such a like cognitive dissonance going on. Mm. So through my teenage years, I was definitely like a good girl, just masturbating a lot. Did you feel shameful during your masturbations and stuff? Like I shouldn't be doing this or I can't believe yeah, I did that? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I just felt so good. <laughs> <laughs> Were you ever caught? <laughs> no. So, I mean, you know, I was like, I think it wasn't a big thing for me as a teenager. I think I was like kind of blossoming the last few years, honestly, in my sexuality to be, you know, like, I think it was just, it wasn't too big of a thing for me until I hit 20 and I got a boyfriend and then we had sex and it was just like, it was such a conflict. Like, how can I go to church? Or like we had, we were trying all the time not to have sex. We lived together. Like it was just such a mess, you know, mm-hmm. we'd go to church and feel so much shame. And then like, you know, try not to have sex. And it was just like, did he also go to church? Yeah. Yeah. But also it was like such an unhealthy relationship, like, like physically abusive, Mm. you know? And so it was so hidden. I couldn't tell people about it. I couldn't tell people we were living together because that was so shameful. I couldn't tell my family. It was just like so much hidden stuff. And that then led to like, also it became abusive. And I couldn't tell anyone about that either. Cause like no one knew we were living together. It was just like one big mm. fucking lie and hidden thing. It was just like kind of the extension of like hiding this part of yourself, you know, let's mm. not talk about it. Just don't talk about it. Mm. You know? Well, so your early sexual experiences with him, was there any focus on your pleasure? No. So it was very much about, you know, just seeing the man come and then yeah. sex is over. And yeah. yeah. Would you orgasm with him? Would you have No, orgasm? I no, I don't remember, but no, I don't think so. When did you first yeah. orgasm? Oh God. Probably the next relationship. I got married then quickly and that got that got, you know, sexual and that was that was good because then I was married. <laughs> so I was like, okay, now it's okay. So it took mm-hmm. away some of the shame. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, then, you know, then we got quickly divorced. And I mean, it was just then like 10 years of or less, I guess, but like boyfriends, cheating, all this mess, like, you know. And I think getting a divorce too was also like, oh God, now I'm divorced. Like, then you know, but now I like sex. So I'm going to keep doing it. And then, and then that quickly, like it just had to start walking away from the church because I couldn't like, I wanted to be having sex, but if I was doing that, then I was going to hell forever. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, ugh, I mean, you can't be living that daily. Like I kind of did, but I mean, and I think through those years is when a lot of self hate started really developing mm-hmm. for who I was and like what I was doing. And I was just such a bad person. Like this narrative started to get really built for one. I was having sex outside of marriage. And then for two, I was cheating and like, or, you know, dating someone and then flirting with someone at the bar. God forbid. Like, I mean, you know, then I'm really going to hell. And it was just like, I mean, so that was a narrative you were telling yourself was like, I'm going to hell. Yes, I'm a bad person. Yes. Yeah. Anything else? Just hide it. Mm-hmm. Also don't talk about it you know, don't even think about it, repress it, you know, just don't confront it. So you, so <laughs> avoid, you, avoid. So you left that marriage. Yeah. Um, you and had your was, boyfriends. Yeah. You left the church at this time too. Yeah. Yeah. And By then, that time, and my then, husband wasn't a Christian. So that was, that was really like the falling out of the church, mm. you know, but like both my sisters married pastors. Mm. So it's, you know, now how, how were you able to like work through that? Coming from, you left the church and now you're in this new lifestyle. Right. 
Yeah. And it just sounds like, you know, there, there were all these narratives that you had and it seems like you are unlearning them or have mm-hmm. unlearned some of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how were you able to do that and start overcoming them? Well, I think it it started when I met my husband and we started dating. The current one that you're with. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, okay. Okay. So my current husband, I met him, you know, I was 28 and I was dating someone else at the time and he found out, you know, I was casually dating him and then it kind of started getting more serious and it kind of started getting more serious with this other guy at the same time. And I was starting to be like, Oh fuck, you know? And I mean, I never thought I would be in a marriage ever again because I was just like, inside, I was like, I'm just a slut. Like I can't be with one person. So I guess I'm never going to be married. I guess that's just my destiny to be a bad person. And Mm. I don't want to drag someone down with me. Mm. So I was dating them both. My current husband found out. Um, Well, he asked me like something seemed off and he was like, you know, I went to Spain and came back and he was like, are you seeing a guy there? You know? And I was like, yes. (laughs) And he was like, okay. Well, you know, it's really triggering for me that you didn't tell me, but what's really important to me is that we're honest and you tell me about it and I love you. I will love you forever. And, you know, if this is what you need to go through, then I'm going to be by your side, whatever that looks like for you. And I, you know, if you want to go there and see him, like whatever you need to do, I'm going to be here for you. And he asked me a question that changed my life, which was, he asked me, he said, okay, does your feeling for him change your feelings for me? Mm. And, Mm. um, and immediately like my intuition was like, no, not at all. Mm -hmm. You know, but there was all this guilt and shame and self-hate about it. You know, I was literally running 15 miles a day trying to fucking process this like emotional stuff. Nothing like needing to process emotional shit that gets you in the best shape of your life. (laughs) Right? I looked hot. (laughs) I was at like my best weight during my divorce. I was like going to yoga twice a week. Oh my God. Orange theory. (laughs) Right. So he asked you that question. Yeah. And okay. So he came from a lifestyle background. He was in a long, long marriage. They were in the lifestyle. All his friends were in the lifestyle. When we started dating, he told me and he said, we don't need to, but my friends are freaky and you're going to have to kind of like, at least be okay with that. And I was like, okay, cool. That's, that's cool. And then when this happened, you know, when he asked me that question, it really was like this light bulb went off in my head. like what? I mean, no, it does. It doesn't change how I feel about you at all. Mm-hmm. I love, like, I actually was so confused because I was in love with two people and I was so confused. Like, that's wrong. That's bad. How can that be? What kind of fucking person am I? You know, like all this stuff. And so when he asked me that and he was okay with it, I was just like, what? Mm-hmm. You can be okay with this. We mm. can talk about it and navigate it together you know, and then I started meeting some of his friends who were in the lifestyle, married 15, 20 years, kids, like lawyers, amazing people, like so, so in love, yet really like raw and vulnerable about their struggles and issues, you know, and I, Mm -hmm. so I saw these relationships and I was like, just my mind started being like, 
this narrative and story I had been taught was starting to get shattered in those moments because I was starting to see something else. You know, I think I had, I was like hit on by swingers when I was like young. And I remember just thinking, oh my God, they're probably like Satan worship putters and like evil. You know, literally, like that's kind of what I had thought. And so, okay, but question number one: How old were you when I was hit on by swingers? By swingers, I have in twenty-one. Twenty-one. Okay, yeah. so you were sexually active at that point, and dealing with all of this, uh, these internal yeah. um, yes, yes, monologues and self-hatred yeah. messages. Yeah. Um, so, number two, was there anything? when they propositioned you, did you, was there anything inside you that was like, hmm, this is interesting. Like at the same time that you thought they were Satan worshipers. I mean, I was definitely really curious for sure. Yeah. Cause when I was reflecting on my initial sexual experiences and like unlearning messages, Mm -hmm. I was like, there's just this string of evidence that I was kind of meant for this lifestyle that I'm in. Mm. Like even when I I thought people were crazy or Satan worshipers or something Mm -hmm. like that, like there was still a little voice in the back of my head that was like, "Mm," or a little tingle in my panties that was like, yeah, yeah. wow. There's, do do you guys wet? have anything like that? Yeah. I mean, like for me, uh, I was always curious, but I would say that a lot of my sexual experiences growing up, um, was always in front of other people. Mm. Like the first time I gave, like making out with boys was always in front of my friends. Okay. Kissing girls was always in front of the group, in front of other boys. Mm. The first time I gave a blowjob. In was the in context of-, of like truth or dare and spin yeah. the bottle and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Uh. And then like it was always that when we hung out as kids, we would hang out at our friend's house. We'd be in the basement. We would all be there and we wanted to, we'd all be under blankets. When I was in college, I had a dorm room shared a shared a room with a roommate we would have sex in each other like in the same room together so i feel like a lot of my experiences i would say hmm. majority of my sexual experiences as a kid was always with my friends in front of other people hmm. so i was just like burst into this i meant to be in an open relationship and more sexual and hmm. voyeur and exhibitionist mm-hmm. type of a lifestyle very yeah. different so i've always had thoughts that were naughty with groups and more people and women and men and I wanted to ask you, Kit, did you have your curiosity? Did you like fantasize as a kid about women or group experiences or anything like that? Not really. It was just so repressed. I was so embedded in the church at that time and like following Jesus and all that stuff. And um, it was just like as soon as maybe a thought came up, for sure thoughts came up, but they were quickly like, avoid, avoid avoid, mm-hmm. you know, repress, repress, like yeah. just avoid it at all costs. Otherwise I'm going to hell forever. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. so, wild. so, well, one thing I wanted to touch on that you mentioned earlier was the question that he asked you, does it uh-huh. change your love for me? And it just, one thing that I learned about being in this lifestyle mm-hmm. is just love is limitless. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I liken it to an example of your children or your mm-hmm. pets. You have yeah. multiple pets and multiple children. Yeah. You love them all the same way. Yeah. And it doesn't change your love for the other. Yeah. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yes. it's awesome that you yes. were that and the one thing is that he acknowledged that and then uh-huh. he was there to nurture it. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that we need to overcome shame, right? Mm-hmm. Shame comes from judgment, whether uh-huh. other people are judging you or you're judging yourself. Yeah. And mm-hmm. 
acceptance uh-huh. is the biggest thing that we uh-huh. need to overcome uh-huh. shame yeah. and like having that compassion for uh-huh. it. And he came right in to say, yeah. well, you know what, actually I'm yeah. familiar with this lifestyle yeah. and yeah. hopefully you're going to be yeah. okay with it. And yeah. you're like, well, yeah. 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 Yes. That makes me think of, you know, some of those common shameful messages that were given and one of the ones that I had to kind of overcome was shame around what your genitals look like. Uh, and what helped me to overcome, you know, thinking, oh my God, my labia are weird. I don't look like that porn star or whatever. It's not the perfect vulva was acceptance and love. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. one of my first boyfriends, like, you know, looked sat down there and looked at it and just kind of like worshiped it. And he wanted to go down on me and like, you need that acceptance to overcome shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I could add one for you, V, the more you're one uh, of your more recent smell things. Yes. Is your smell <laughs> and your taste. Yeah. And you work through that, you know, and it's about Still working like, on it. Yeah, it's and it's <laughs> accepting it and and being aware and asking questions. Am I okay? Instead of sitting it with your head, you're like, is everything okay? Do I taste okay? And I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. You're good. So we yeah. can do is talk about it and accept it and and love it and and take care of ourselves. And I yeah. think the thing too for me, like one of the biggest part about the lifestyle is girlfriends mm. and friends in general. And so like, sometimes my husband can tell me something, you know, and he thinks I'm the best thing ever. So, I mean, and I'm so thankful for that. And like, if he gives me a compliment, I'm like, well, you're just kind of biased, you know? You're just Yeah. But like when girlfriends or another man tells me that I, I'm like, and you, you know, cause you're sharing your genitals with other people and they're seeing that and they're like, wow, you know, it, it's like that acceptance of those mm-hmm. from other people too. And your close, close friends, mm-hmm. you know, really also add to that. Yeah, acceptance, it helps that community. To, I guess adopt that narrative. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I had that too with myself with um my boobs, right? I have natural uh-huh. boobs. Uh-huh. They're not perfectly round. They're, you yeah. know, yeah. and one's larger than the other. Uh-huh. And I, being in the lifestyle, going on these vacations, I, this was something newer. Well, I've always had it. And then I just kind of like amplified a little bit being in the lifestyle because mm-hmm. a lot of girls have fake breasts mm-hmm. and they're perfect and mm-hmm. they're perky and they're mm-hmm. round and they're mm-hmm. proportioned. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, like I'm one of the only girls here with natural boobs. But then what I noticed in the lifestyle was other people were coming up to me and they mm-hmm. were like, oh my God, natural boobs. Look at these. They're beautiful. Yes. And I'd yeah. start to get a little yeah. shy and like, yeah. oh my God, like, thank you. And then- yeah. I started to adopt that. Like, yes, I'm the only natural boobies here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So it's. Yeah. Like it's not, while I don't believe you should always be getting validation from outside sources, it certainly helps to start to change your own personal narrative and like, you know, kickstart it. Well, I think the Mm -hmm. thing is, is like we tell ourselves so many stories in our head that are totally BS. Mm. And when, people around you that are very close to you start telling you a different story, you start to kind of question your story. Like, is this real or is it my own? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, where's the truth or where's the lie? Right. You know, where's the story? Yeah. The, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another like shame message that I, I guess kind of developed in the lifestyle was that I was too overly sexual. Yeah, I was too much and too <gasps> yeah. aggressive. Yeah, and too much. That yeah, phrase like, yes. "too much" is just yeah. such a 
almost yeah. triggering phrase for me. Yeah, 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 me too. It is, too. yeah. And and that's where yeah. Brad came out and Chad, and I'm like, oh Sean. my God, I have to tone Brad. Yeah, she has a Sean. <laughs> Kid has Ooh. a Sean. <laughs> okay. um, like, just, you know, hearing messages yeah. from other women in life. So like, uh-huh. oh, well, Brad's here. Brad's always horny. Brad's always fucking. Brad's always this to the point where I was right. like, oh my God, I need to tone back. I'm right. so overly sexual with some, some of the friends that we have that I'm like, I need to pull back. And I have, like, I feel like I have. Don't and now do I'm it. working, now I'm working through exactly yeah, like, I want coming to see Brad. out of that, act on it, get wired, don't hold back. You I know? like Brad. I like Brad too. But that's something <laughs> interesting about that is that people associate this with you now. And I do love that part of you. But sometimes if you're not feeling sexual, like, mm-hmm. do There's you ever feel like you you're like not giving the people what they want now if you're mm. not bringing out Chad or Brad. Yeah. Now this is like this weird position where people expect me to be Brad and now I'm holding back as Brad and I'm feeling now uncomfortable <laughs> to be Brad. I'm like, I'm just, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Literally just freezing up. So yes, I do get that. And I'm still working through that to be honest. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> and on the flip side, I often feel it's very interesting that mommy has told me she's like, oh, yeah, I think you're very sexual. And like in my mind, I'm always feeling shameful in my relationship. Like, am I being sexual enough or yeah. am I holding him back because I'm not in the mood at this sex party? Uh, and it is easier for our men to get play when they come in a package deal with us. Would you agree with that? I guess you assume so, but there's like one person in our group who I disagree. I don't know, but I still think that it is easier. Yes, yes. Women often drive the lifestyle. Yes. But yeah, so I I experience shame around, am I sexual enough? Right. And I feel like all of these things that we're saying are based on expectations and outward expectations that have been thrust upon us. Mm-hmm. And... So maybe it's about I'm I'm just coming up with this thought on the spot here so who knows if it's right but maybe it's about why are we shooting ourselves so much and just kind of get in tune with what you want and own mm-hmm. that kind yeah. of what Slatlana was saying on the last episode what do you want listen to that and honor that and yeah. own it And I want to comment on Svetlana too. Like one thing I was thinking about after that conversation was she is so aware of herself and what she wants and doesn't want through her whole life's experiences of being with a couple and then being single that her living the way that she lives in her, in her power and her confidence and her yeses and her nos helps me also Mm -hmm. be stronger in my decisions and what I want. And I'm like, Svetlana's saying no, like I'm going to do this. Or she's saying, you know, like to see somebody else living their truth makes Mm -hmm. it easier for me to live in my truth. So it's helpful to see it modeled. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I think also too, like something that's helped me a lot is the fear, desire, boundary conversation. Mm. Because for me, my story is like, now I'm too sexual. I'm too much. I want too much dick. Like (laughs) I'm just like for me and even with my husband now, who was like the one who showed me the light, you know, I still like recently when we were going to Jamaica, I was like thinking in my head, I'm like, I really like if I had a desire you know, it would be to get more dick basically. And, but I had a fear surrounding that and this shame story coming up for me Mm -hmm. that like, oh, you're such a whore. Why aren't you just 
happy with what you have, like, Mm -hmm. you know? So when we had that conversation, my partner, he, I told him, you know, my desire and my fear. And when it was his turn, his desire was for us to play with a guy. Oh, wow. And Mm -hmm. I was like, honest to God. And it just taught me, I'm like, God, get out. Like my desires are like, we both want them. Yeah. We're both being honest. Like that's what he wants too. Yeah. You know, we want to share that experience together to, to fuel our passion Mm -hmm. and excitement, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, where is this coming from that it's wrong? I'm talking to him about it. We're figuring it out. We're communicating. We're doing it. Like, I mean, yeah. I think you're just still shedding those old patterns. For sure. I mean, for culture, sure. society, our whole mm-hmm. lives, our previous experiences are ingrained in us. It takes. And I, f- I personally feel like every time we have this fear, boundary, desire conversation, I shed something mm. because there's a story mm. I'm telling myself in my head. And then I find out like, I'm telling my, like, this is just so classic, but it happens every time. Like I'm telling myself it's bad. I'm bad. I'm wrong. Like all these stories. And then he says like, he wants the same thing and we're talking about it and then like fantasizing about it and then start fucking and like have the greatest <laughs> night together as a married <laughs> couple. And like, I mean, now for me, the narrative of those things are bad, dark. And, and to be honest, like now I'm starting to really realize for me, I mean, this might be a strong statement and I'm sorry if this offends someone, but for me, those stories from the church of your bad, like to hide those things, to like squash your self-expression and that like, you're going to hell if you think of someone else or you need repentance from like Jesus, from something outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like for me, that's dark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it and, feels so unholy. Yeah. I mean, you, it takes the power away. Yes. That someone else has to help you. First of all, this. you can't self-express. Yeah. Yes. You can't talk about it. You can't be honest. Mm. You're a bad person for it. Then you need something outside of yourself yeah. to fix it. When we have all the power with it. Yes. You. Yeah. So Just, the stories that you tell yourself when you have these instances come up for you mm-hmm, to date, mm-hmm. do you do you catch yourself and mm-hmm. you're like, okay, let me work through this? Do you come mm-hmm. out of them quicker? Do you mm-hmm. find that you're still working on that? Like mm-hmm. how are your current experiences with the storytelling. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I've really tried to work on is when that comes up to talk about it, mm. to talk about it with my husband mm. or to call a girlfriend in the lifestyle mm. and talk through it because then, you know, I mean, girlfriends too are huge for me because they're like, the, you know, from a girlfriend to a girlfriend, she can be like, no, go get it. Go get another day. Like, why? Why not? You know, like mm-hmm. share, like there's so much encouragement from women in the lifestyle and this like raw, vulnerable place that we get in. It's so, so I, it's something I didn't expect and realize that would come in the lifestyle, you know, like before ever doing anything, I think one story I taught my thought was I would be jealous of Mm. my partner being with a woman, Mm. you know, I thought, you know, like, I don't know, I was scared for that reason. And the first time we played with a couple, I was the one who was like, suck his dick, (laughs) do more, be inside of him, make her orgasm. (laughs) Like I was just like (laughs) more leader. Yeah. A cheerleader. And she in turn was like holding my hand the whole time they were fucking and like Mm. kept asking me like, are you sure? Is this okay? Like there was so much, 
you know, and before we even played, we went into the kitchen and had like a talk about it. And like, for me, that was so beautiful. And not for a second was I jealous. I was like way on the other end of just like rubbing myself down, watching the hottest porn of my life. (laughs) 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 You know, so I mean, and it's, and it's that too, that it's like, why, why do we need to be like jealous? Why is this a bad thing? Like, it's so beautiful to see your partner in their pleasure Mm -hmm. with someone also like some, I mean, I love it most when it's a woman that I like and I'm attracted to, and I feel connected to, because then it's just like, I think she's super hot. You know, I want to, her and then I obviously my partner is like you know my ultimate fantasy so seeing it together is just like the best orgasm overload (laughs) bless us (laughs) to that point I do like what you said like why do we need to feel jealous but then also there's no shame in feeling jealous so if jealousy is sparked like that's okay and again Uh just talk through it work through it talk to your partner ask the questions all these things that we've talked about. Yeah. Right. True. On the flip side, you know, there's been a moment or two, I feel jealous and then I bring it up and it's like, you know, like again, a fear, desire, boundary conversation. One time, you know, he was in a position with a girl that I don't like, and it looked like they were having the, this amazing time. And I was like thinking in my head, Oh my God, this is something I can't provide for him. I don't like it maybe that's his favorite thing. And like, you know, the story started and Mm -hmm. I talked to him about it afterwards. And I, and turns out it's his least favorite position. He was like, yeah, actually, I don't actually really like it either. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a story. But if he had said that he liked it, Mm -hmm. you know, just because you don't like doing it or don't provide it for him. That's one of the beautiful things about this lifestyle is that, you know, it doesn't make have. the sex and positions that you guys have bad. It's no. just he Different. gets something else. like I'll bring it up because I bring it up every fucking time. Uh-huh. You know, anal for me with Jay, his dick is kind of too big for my ass because I haven't been doing my anal training, which by the way, I did train <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> yeah, girl. My point is, you know, Jay doesn't get that from me. He hasn't Mm -hmm. gotten it from me in about a year. And so he gets it elsewhere. And there was a time when I was like, oh, shit, I'm not providing for him. But, you know, also he gets it elsewhere and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And if those Mm -hmm. girls dig it, awesome. You know? And then also too, like for me, I see so many vanilla relationships that end up cheating or something because I mean, they're not getting some little thing that they want. Maybe he really likes anal and that's not your thing. So he can go get it elsewhere and he doesn't need to like end your relationship just because of that. Like everything mm-hmm. else in your relationship could be amazing and perfect. And it's just a little thing that he needs. And so like, go get it elsewhere. Like we need girl time. My husband mm-hmm. cannot provide me girl time. He can, he can't talk about my period the way I can with girls. Like right. he just mm-hmm. can't, you know? And so I need to get that elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. our partners can't be everything. Yeah. A hundred percent. 
And that's like another shameful thing is that we're taught that monogamy is the way to go. Right. One person. Right. Life. One person. Yeah. And then you have all the shame around sex and then you get married. Then you right. don't even know what you're doing with each other yeah. because you're not connected with yourself because yes. you have so much shame around sex. And self-expression. Like for me, it's so huge. Like when you can't self-express because you have all this shame around it, you're clogging all of your growth and your creativity and who you are and how you love mm-hmm. and show up in this world, you know? And that's one thing like I was telling you guys before is I realized I, I mean, with all the self-hate and anger, it just, that I was creating for myself, it was just, that's how I was showing up in the world as this like angry, frustrated person. Have, do you have any instances or has this translated at all outside of the lifestyle for you? Um, in every single way. <laughs> I mean, sex is not in isolation. And I think sometimes we talk about it a little bit in isolation. It's this thing we do in the bedroom away from everything. But it is like, I believe our sexuality is our core life force. It is. It's how we're birthed and give birth, mm-hmm. people. Like it's our core core energy. And so when we have shame surrounding that, we have shame surrounding everything. When we have anger and hate surrounding it, we have anger and hate surrounding everything. When we can't talk about it, we can't talk about other things. Like, you know, for me, it's like the hate for myself because of my sexuality bled into everything, you know, early on in my relationship with my husband, it was like, I constantly was telling him, I'm not good enough for you. I don't know why you're with me. You deserve better because I had these narratives going on. You know, I'm not good enough in my career. I'm not good enough as a friend. I'm not a good enough daughter. You know, it was just in everything. And then also my anger, you know, because Mm -hmm. self-hate creates anger. And so I just have like, and, and it's gotten so much better, but like, I would just have such explosive anger come out and I just didn't understand where it was coming from, you know? And I mean, a lot of it was hormonal imbalances for sure. And a lot of it was just was just needing like the sexual healing was needing to be healed because I had so much hate for myself. I was just like in this, like, you know, place of like anger and like, just so like kind of crusty old, you know, (laughs) people who know me now, like my part, my husband like knows, but I mean, people who know me now, like you, you would not recognize me. 10 years Mm. ago. Mm. Like I am hotter. I'm more beautiful. I'm more loving. I'm sweeter. I like, but it's true. And I'm realizing that in, in a beautiful way, you know, I just like, then I was just so frustrated and you could see it like in my Mm. face Mm -hmm. pictures, like people have seen pictures and they're like, Whoa. (laughs) Well, when you you carry shame around, yeah, it just, it affects your body yes. and how you carry yourself and yes. to the hotness point, like you're, it dulls your light, right? Yes. So now yeah. when yes. you're in touch with yourself and your body and your essence and your creativity and your feminine power, yeah. you know, it, it exudes a sensuality and sexuality. And I know I'm drawn to those women uh-huh. and men who you know, are in touch with themselves. And it's this natural confidence that, 
you can't have when you carry shame around in a lot of aspects of your life. Yeah. And I think there's just a level of living in your authenticity. So yes. you're feeling that true self. There's yes. no facade. There's no, yes. I'm acting for somebody else. I'm being for somebody else. Like this lifestyle is, I feel like I've met the most authentic, truly honest uh-huh. people in the world that I've ever come mm. across. And in the problems too. Like, you know, we're talking all like all the like lovely, amazing, sparkly things, but also like not to kid that I don't have dark moments of insecurity and whatever, but I feel like those can also shine Mm -hmm. in this way. You know, like we had this beautiful time this weekend of like, Hey, I'm actually feeling really insecure and not good enough. And I can speak that now, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're in the middle of a threesome and I just decided like the, you know, our part, like the third, he was having some, struggles and he called it out that he was like looping in his head about it and left the room for a moment. And honestly, what went through my, my head was, Oh my God, I'm not good enough. I just got rejected. He left. I'm fat. Aren't I? I'm like too much. I don't like, and these things started, you know, and he came back and just was like, I just like, we're in this like sexy mode and he just switches and he's like, can we just have a talk? I need to be honest. I'm really looping and I'm not showing up. And I started crying. I was like, Oh my God, thank you. Because I needed to hear that because I was feeling like you didn't actually like, I love him so much. I have such a crush on him. And I was like, he's rejecting me. I'm not good enough. I'm fat. I'm too much like, you know? And so it's also in those like dark moments that become so beautiful that we can also express the, the hard and the scary and the fear and the darkness, like that also comes out and comes to the light and like with girlfriends and like, yeah, it's so like, that's how we process. And that is where the healing is not just like sucking dick in your glory. I mean, that's part of it, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but it's, that's the thing. It transfers to everything. All my vanilla friends, I talk to them all the time about all of this because I'm like, fuck it. I'm not hiding myself. You love me for the whore that I am or you don't. Like, I mean, and it's been so beautiful because now like most of my friends are vanilla and I am a lot. I'm not going to say always because I don't know, but a lot of the times they come to me and they're like, I can't tell anyone this, but like, I think I'm liking girls or like, you know, my partner wants to have a threesome and I'm scared or like, and like they start coming to me with these things. And I feel like, you know, that's been part, I think part of my healing and I've been able to self-express and show up loving and accepting of the difficult moments just as much as the good. Yeah. It's like you're, you're leading by example and Mm -hmm. showing that the communication is there and possible. So they feel mm-hmm. safe enough with you to discuss that. And mm-hmm. it's like, you're healing. It's interesting when you talk to others and you feel like you're helping and healing others, you heal yourself. Oh yes. Yes. You can yes. See some of the parallels yes. there, you know, so they, it's a beautiful thing that they are coming to you yeah. with that because it's expanding people's consciousness. Yeah. All these possibilities. And it's like, I for sure want to say it's also about the struggles. Like that's what I love about my lifestyle friends and their marriages and relationships is I see the difficult parts in their marriage and they're the first ones that I call when I'm like done and pissed off Mm. and like, you know, and they set me straight because I don't have to hide anything. 
I don't have to hide anything with them. And, you know, when we're at our darkest, lowest, worst fight, you know, I go into this like deep self-hate that I just want everything to end. And I'm just have so much hate and I can call, you know, a lifestyle friend or whoever, because that's just now who I show up as is just like, everyone knows my shit. (laughs) All my problems are out there for the world to see because, I, I mean, I, I now feel like I don't have to hide. Yeah, my marriage has tons of problems, mm-hmm. you know, and so do all of ours. But, like, we don't need to hide that. We're all processing it and going through it together, you know. And that, for me, is just so beautiful that we can just not hide, you know. And mm-hmm. and when it's not even about sex, when it's about finances or whatever, you know, you're struggling with. Mm-hmm. If you could talk about sex and poop and anal, <sighs> you could talk about anything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hiding. I mean, something that I wanted to touch on earlier when we were talking about our early um, formative sexual experiences was we actually touched on this in the Holly episode where, you know, when you are a teenager in high school and we all had those people, at least I did. Tell me if I'm wrong with you guys. Like there are those people in school who the rumors go around about like, oh, she got fingered at a party or, mm-hmm. you know, she's a slut or she's right. a lesbian. And I remember really specifically in like middle school hearing about a lesbian and her name was Rachel. This is so random. Like I wasn't even friends with her. I didn't know her, but I knew her name and that she was a lesbian. And <laughs> one time I was in the locker room and she was in there and I got like tingly and I got like turned on and there was like some sort of fantasy in my head that like I could, you know, introduce myself to her and like be with her or something like that. So even in middle school, I felt this way, but I did not introduce myself to her because at the same time, there was this narrative around her in school that she was like a pariah and she was an Mm. other and, you know, there was so much shame around that. So I think for me, a lot of my early formative experiences were in like school and high school and, you know, the, the shame that other people received and rumors about them and how I didn't want to be those people, but secretly I was turned on by whatever was being told to me in these rumors. Does that resonate mm-hmm. with either of you two? Uh, I mean, for me, yeah. Like I remember hearing rumors of girls getting fingered and being a slut. I was a part of some of those stories at that time too. And I feel like it's interesting <laughs> that we're taught these things culturally. And then we also bully other people into the yeah. same principles. Like that's where yeah. bullying come from is those beliefs that we were trained in from yeah. schools and the religion and all of that stuff. And it, it's interesting to see that translate amongst everybody mm. shaming that person. Mm. Um, and then it, uh, what I also resonated with was you saying like you were in the same room with her and you were turned on by it. It's like when you can't have something you want it, mm-hmm. and that desire mm. kind of comes mm-hmm. out. And I feel like being repressed is, as a child with my sex I had to do it in secrecy. It was always quiet. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about it, but I became more sexually expressive when mm-hmm. I had the opportunities to do it. Mm-hmm. Like I became, mm-hmm. I felt like I was being more slutty. Mm-hmm. It's like all this stuff was, yeah, repressed inside of you. You were a volcano and you needed Spewing to explode. Out. <laughs> yeah, explode. yeah. 
It's like when you tell a kid no, they're going to go do it, you know? Like yeah. that was what it was like for me. Yeah. You can't have sex. Oh, but I want to. I'm going to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing I think for me too about the lifestyle that's just amazing is like compared to being bullied like that, now, I mean – now we as women and friends in general, we like cheer each other on. Yeah. You know, it's like, mm. yeah, I have this fantasy of getting a DP. It's like, oh, okay, let's figure it out. Yeah, let's let's yeah. figure out how. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like your girlfriends yeah. come together and like, yeah, you know, let's, mm, how can we make this work? Uh-huh. Have you pooped today? Do you need help? <laughs> yeah, Do you yeah. Need help? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like so beautiful to be cheered on in that way rather than bullied and like shamed yeah so find your tribe find your tribe for sure and to your point it's not it's not necessarily always lifestyle people yes yeah i like you said you have a lot of traditional friends Mm -hmm. i have a lot of traditional friends who i talk to about this stuff and yeah similarly i think they come to me with a lot of their sexual stuff because they're like, oh, V's probably have this thing <laughs> yeah. going on. Yeah. In her <laughs> and it's, uh, I think it gives permission people in vanilla lifestyle to express themselves sexually, whether it's in a monogamous way or non-monogamous way or like whatever. Like it doesn't have to be non-monogamous. But I think like for me, it's also important that I start to show up for my vanilla friends mm-hmm. in this way. And we can still cheer each other on. You know, and we spread that just into life in general, you know. I think like as I, as I, as I review monogamous relationships or traditional relationships and non-monogamous relationships, what I have found talking to some of my vanilla friends is that there is a difference of the level of comfort in communication. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. the fear, boundary, desire conversation, our therapist has actually really been talking to us about like, okay, guys, you need to put this into your everyday life mm. about like mm. your finances, about how building your house. Like, you know, we're, I mean, and we've been practicing that and it's just so amazing to be like, okay, what's my, like, okay, we needed to fire someone in our business. Mm you know, and I'm scared. I'm scared to let him go for these reasons. What's my desire? What's my boundary about it? You know, and we, we talked about that at work and it's just like, it really transfers to life. Yeah. You can use it in any aspect. Yeah. Can you be honest about your fear, Mm -hmm. you know, with Mm -hmm. this, what's your boundary about it? And what's your, like, you know, Mm -hmm. for work, for your opening a new bank account, for Mm -hmm. starting building a house, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I love, Oh my God. I love that. Yeah. I, want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, you can do like a 30 day challenge or something and do it for every day for something non-sexual, you know, yeah. for your day. Yeah. So you, yeah. you mentioned you have a therapist. Is she a sex, uh-huh. sex therapist too? No, she, <laughs> she's so confused by her sexuality. Uh, <laughs> I think sometimes <laughs> she's amazing though. She, um, she does EMDR with us. Okay. I can't. Can you more. explain what that is? Uh huh. It's a rapid eye movement therapy, and so it puts you into like almost this sort of this semi-hypnotic state. To you start with a negative story that you're telling yourself, and then <clears throat> you basically start with that, like a core memory, and then you start to trace all the memories in your life that have been connected to this negative story you're telling yourself. And so you trace it through and crazy things pop up that you have long forgotten. And so you trace them through and like all these weird things, you're like, oh my God, 
I can't believe that incident is supporting this story. Whoa. And it doesn't make sense to anyone else, but you see it and you're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you and, trace. Yeah. Sorry. So the rapid eye movement, like what is that part of it? Is that supposed to help trigger it or? I, uh, I guess I don't know enough to like speak to it really. Yeah. Honestly. Can you um, demonstrate it for me? Yeah. So like mine holds a pen and she goes tick tock, tick tock, like back and forth. And so you just focus on it and there's something that triggers it to like maybe this kind of more to get to kind of more your unconscious state, I guess, you yeah. know, and to, to like trigger those memories a little bit more so. Um, and yeah, it's that makes cool. sense. Yeah, it's yeah. like you shut off a piece of your brain because you're focusing on something, so it allows other I, parts of your brain to express. Yes, that makes that makes sense. You talked about a semi-hypnotic state, so that yeah. probably allows. Yeah, and you I to don't know if in. that that term is accurate, but that's kind of what it means for me. Okay, just to say that. Yeah, good. But, no, that's good. Um, and then, yeah, so you kind of trace it out and you clear it through and you go through all the different webs, you clear it through and you, you recreate this negative story into a positive story. And then you kind of go through and affirm it and you, wow, this has changed our lives. Yeah. You retell the stories in a more positive way. I want to bring this to like a sexual healing kind of an aspect. So this is kind of where BDSM can come in for sexual healing. So I once Mm. was chatting with a dom And she had a client that would come in pretty frequently. He was a Vietnam war veteran and he unfortunately was a prisoner of war for a year and a half. And so he was tortured to the max. And so one of his requests for play was cock and ball torture and needle torture. And it wasn't sexual. So what would happen was he, they would do this torturing to him. But after it was done, he requested aftercare, which was hugging him, Mm. loving him, caressing Mm. him because it was retraining that negative feeling of the torture Mm -hmm. of war and and being tortured to love and care and like reframing that Mm. negative concept. So like there's a whole nother thing we didn't go into is this whole world of BDSM and how that, you know, there's a reason why people like they're People, they always say women with daddy, daddy yeah, problems always yeah. love the the daddy dom right, type of right. porn mm-hmm. or play right. because it's nurturing and playful and caring. Right. So there's a lot of of ways to heal sexually with BDSM uh-huh. mm-hmm. and in general. Yeah, and in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about our session um, at Freaksgiving and how I really needed an impact session because it helps me to release like tears when sometimes my body is just like holding back. It's like I have all of these emotions going on inside me and like I'm just trying to get through my day to day. So like there's no time to let that out. So for me, that's pretty healing. It's like, okay, I have 45 minutes of being spanked and it fucking hurts. And so this physical (laughs) pain lets me release the emotional pain kind of. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. It just goes to show there's multiple ways to heal using sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's so much more we could fucking talk about on this topic, and I'm sure we will in future episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kit, thank you so much for coming on and being so vulnerable and sharing with us so much of your journey. Is there anything else that you would want to like leave our listeners with or like major nuggets that you just want to reiterate? Hmm. 
I think if you're having any sexually deviant thoughts, find someone in your life who you feel safe to just talk about it and just see what happens, you know, and yeah. see where that goes to just start mm. to creep into the light, you know, and out of the darkness. That's a beautiful tip. Mm. Communi- communication. Yeah. Don't, don't be alone. We don't can't yeah, be alone. There's all these- so many beautiful people who want to support you. And probably share it with you. Once yes. you're vulnerable about yes. it, they'll be vulnerable back. Like you'd be surprised connection. how many people are like, you're like, I, I kind of want a, a female experience or something. And they're like, oh yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so. And I feel like if people don't feel like they have that friend in their life, you know, with the internet, we do have the ability to at the very least pay for these things, find a sex therapist, yeah, find, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, some kind yeah. of meetup group around BDSM or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Education and knowledge at this point is, is what's going to get you out of this. Cause it was yeah. repression and abstinence that got yes. us into this in the first yeah, place. So yeah. go get the, the information that you need to, to learn and play with yourself and figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for being here. Love you guys. Love you. So guys, this was like a, an intense conversation. So much stuff. Like we would love to hear from the listeners. Um, what can you add? How have you shown up differently in your life after being in the lifestyle or what you're curious about changing in your life? Um, just, we would love to hear from you guys. So you can certainly email us at girls gone deep at gmail.com. And you can at some point find us back on Instagram because <laughs> we got booted off. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but it is Girls, Girls Gone, Gone Deep, Deep podcast. podcast. Yeah. No way. So thank you for tuning in. We're happy you're here and um, we'll see you on the next episode. So I'm Elle. I'm V. And I'm Kit. Yeah. <laughs> we love you all and love you, Kit. Thank you. Love you okay. too. Bye.